welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Lord, you give us holy things to handle this day as your people. You give us the, the very heart of our salvation to ponder. Lord, we are not sufficient to these things. We don't have we don't have hearts big enough to contain them. Lord, our minds are dull and distracted. Lord, we would pray now that you would send your spirit so that as we proclaim again the central actions of our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, our hearts would be open to the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come to this day, this Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday of our Lord, we we really need an extra measure of the grace of God in order to hear that passion story all over again, because our familiarity with this account of of Jesus' death on the cross Our familiarity with this, while it's maybe not, the familiarity may not breed contempt, it certainly breeds a numbness so that we don't have sharp ears. We don't really hear it again to hear the enormity of what is transpiring in these hours on the day that our Lord was crucified. And one way of overcoming our familiarity with this text is to listen very carefully to some details, some of the details of the narrative. And so this morning, I want us to focus on those two criminals, the two criminals that were uh, crucified with Jesus. And I want us to focus on Jesus' interaction with those criminals because in that interplay, the heart of the gospel, the good news of God's conquest of evil and the restoration and redemption of the whole world is expressed here on the cross. We're going to focus hard on what's going on between Jesus and those two criminals, those two wicked people. Now, this is in order to understand that, in order to set this up, we have to go all the way back to Luke's account of Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, who is coming out to John the baptizer, John the Baptist? Yes, there are even Baptists in the Bible. They're not just all around here. They're in the Bible too. <clears throat> so, so he's going out to John the Baptist with all that other crowd. Now, why is that crowd com- coming to John the baptizer to be baptized? It says they're, be co- they're coming to be baptized for the remission of their sins. They're going out knowing, aware of their sinfulness and seeking relief from that sinfulness. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus, our sinless Lamb of God, goes out to be baptized by John. Why is He doing that? Here's why, and this is critical if we're going to get all the way to the Mount of Crucifixion. The reason is that Jesus, in His baptism, is fully identifying, fully taking on, fully identifying with fallen, broken, sinful humanity. And from that point, when Jesus identifies with fallen, sinful humanity, from that point at His baptism, all the way up to the Mount of Crucifixion, Jesus relentlessly is is hanging out 
with the worst segments of society. He seems to be inviting contact with the worst segments of society. He is embracing the sinful and the rejected. If you go back, if you go all the way back to um, Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus has been invited to a very, very posh and elegant dinner party at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And as he's reclining at table, uh, a, a woman in the town, it says a sinful woman, heard that Jesus was in the house of the Pharisee, and so she took an alabaster jar of perfume, and she went and she got behind Jesus at, at His feet as He's reclining at the table, and she kneels over His feet, and she begins to weep out her sin on the feet of Jesus. She's heard about this rabbi who identifies with sinners, and she begins to weep out her sin on the feet of Jesus and to wipe His feet with her tears and to pour that perfume on the feet of Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee said, Ooh! Ooh, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him right now. And Jesus said, Simon, you hear Simon's heart, I have somewhat to say to thee. And he tells the parable of the two people who are going up to the temple to pray and the, the publican goes back forgiven and the Pharisee doesn't. And, and Jesus turns to Simon. He says, Simon, when I came in your house, you didn't even give me water to wash the dirt of the street off my feet. But this woman has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears. And you didn't even give me any oil to anoint my head, but this woman has anointed my feet with perfume. I tell you, her sins, though they are many, are forgiven because she loved much. She loved much. Jesus allowed himself to be touched in a Pharisee's house by a sinful woman. Actually, that's in, uh, in, in Luke 10. Back in Luke 7, when Jesus is choosing his disciples, in Luke 7 and when Jesus is choosing his disciples, he goes out of his way to choose some very odd people, but he actually chooses... Uh, a tax collector, Levi, the tax collectors. Le tax collectors were despised among the Jewish people. They were collaborators with the Roman invaders, and they were traitors to their own people, and their job made them ritually unclean. And Jesus said, hey, Levi, I see you sitting there at the tax booth. Come and be my disciple. Shocking. He's welcoming sinners. Then in, we heard this recently in Luke chapter 15. He's sitting there and he's eating with the tax collectors and with the sinners. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law see Jesus doing that. And they say, they say this among themselves. They, it says they began to grumble. And they said among themselves, why does this man welcome sinners? Why does this man welcome sinners and even eat with them? And at that point, Jesus begins to tell three stories of God's passionate, seeking love for those who are so lost, so far gone, that they can't even begin to save themselves. He says, that's the kind of God, that's Israel's God revealed in me. Over and over in Luke's gospel, 
Jesus is describing God's passionate love affair with the least and the last and the lost. And it comes to a head here, finally, in Luke chapter 23. Jesus' full identification with sinners, with evildoers, it's complete as He is nailed up as a common criminal, a criminal between two thieves, between two other criminals. Jesus is nailed up. That's right. You serve an ex-con. Your God is an ex-con who was given a death penalty. If you start to feel proud of yourself, you just need to think about who you're worshiping. You know, the greatest honor in the Roman world was the parade of a triumphal entry when a Roman general or some other dignitary was processed in, in, in triumph into a town, usually through a triumphal arch, and processed into a city. That was See, there in, in ancient Rome and in Jewish society of the first century, this was a shame-honor culture. And by the way, if you grew up in the rural south, when I grew up in the rural south, you grew up in a shame-honor culture too, and you understand this. You know, there's that... Um, have you seen that commercial where people are walking around? I think it's like a financial planning bubble and uh, a commercial, and over each person's head there's a bubble of their worth. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but there's just people walking around. They've got like a dollar amount over their head. In the ancient world, people were walking around kind of like that. They had shame or honor, you know, over their head. And, and not literally, but figuratively, everybody knew where they stood in social standing. The greatest, the greatest honor you could give someone is to take them into a, into a city in triumphal entry. And Jesus has just done that on Palm Sunday. But the greatest shame that could be poured out, that could be heaped on anyone was also a parade in that society. And it was the procession of a criminal through the streets of a city, outside the city gates, to a gibbet, to a cross, where that person would be hung up in ultimate shame. That's the journey we have taken this morning, right here. Triumph to shame. And that's the gospel. God is willing to go that low in order to save. He's willing to just keep on humiliating Himself, to crawl through the sewers of human depravity, searching, seeking for just one more person who will accept. Listen, He'll crawl through the filth to find one person who will accept His offer of forgiveness. And that's the only reason I can stand here. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a horrible person in my heart most of the time. Sometimes I sweat it out a little bit. It gets out. And while Christ is hanging there on the cross, those rulers and religious elites and the good moral people, they scoff at Him and they say, He saved others. Let Him save Himself if He is the Christ of God, His chosen one. And then those Roman soldiers take up that same taunting theme. And then finally, you got to think about this, finally, one of the convicts. I mean, how humiliating is that to have a criminal who is being executed next to you begin to insult you? That, In other words, that criminal is saying, I'm bad, but you are worse than me. And one of those criminals sneers at him and says, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And what the rulers 
and the soldiers and that sneering convict cannot see is that, and please listen, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And what no one is able to see in that crowd of rulers and soldiers and a sneering convict is that, in fact, Jesus is saving them and save us. I am saving you right now, this very minute. That's what I'm doing. He's saving others precisely because of the fact He is willing to not save Himself. And Jesus just keeps on saving. Even while He is dying, He is pouring out God's love and forgiveness Father, forgive them, he says in Luke 23, from the cross, from the cross, Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that willingness to be with us in our deepest shame and to love us unconditionally, there is released the power of transformation. Now you think in John's gospel that the wedding of Cana, where Jesus transforms water into wine, you think that's kind of amazing? There's something even more amazing happening on the cross. There's a greater transformation because Jesus is transforming His shame into our salvation. His shame becomes our salvation. The guilt laid on Him is transformed into our forgiveness. The death He dies is transformed into eternal life for us. Now, there is another, there's an amazing thing that happens here. This is, here's the power of God at work. Here's the light of God breaking through the darkest hour that this broken, sinful old world has ever known. And it's this somehow, it, it has to do with that repentant, the repentant sinner, the repentant criminal. You know, the, the, the reviling criminal says, save yourself and us. And uh, the repentant criminal says, don't you fear God? You know, we're getting what we deserve. We are getting what we, this is the death we deserve to die. But this, is a, this righteous man has done nothing. And somehow in that moment, he sees that Jesus really is king. You know, there is a, there's a titleist, there's a, a, a placard, a, a, a board with some writing over it, nailed on the cross over Jesus' head, and it says, this is the king of the Jews. And Pilate and the Jewish leadership and the soldiers and that blaspheming criminal, they saw that title, they saw that title as a sarcastic indictment. Ha ha! That's, hey, Israel, this is what Rome thinks of you. Here's your king, Israel. But somehow that thief on the cross beside Jesus, the repentant criminal, sees what no other else can see, and it is that Jesus really is a king. Somehow he sees that this cross does not put, put a lie to Jesus' kingship. Uh, last week, uh, a little girl was here with her grandmother. She's come a few times before. Uh, Sophia. Sophia is what, four? Maybe four? 
And Sophia had been upstairs with uh, Lisa Sharp, my amazing wife, and doing catechesis. And they were doing the arrest of Jesus, all that stuff we read about this morning. And so when Sophia came down, she saw Father David, and Father David was wearing uh, your purple chasuble, the, pur- the holy poncho, purple poncho, like Chris has got on the red one today. And she looked at him, and she looked at Father David. She says, purple? I know purple. They beat that king. I know purple. They beat that king. Blows and the mocking. That little girl saw right through it to a king. And this criminal sees right through the cross to a king. And he sees that this cross that Jesus is on is not a scaffold or a gibbet. It is a throne. And that in that moment, Jesus' reign is not ending. It's only beginning. And so in faith, seeing what no one else could see, this man turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Of anything anybody saw on that Good Friday, Jesus coming into a kingdom was not one of them, but that man saw it. Remember me, King Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And like He has done every time someone cried out to Him from the beginning of His ministry, when everyone seemed to be in love with this new rabbi from Galilee, to the very end when He has been rejected and crucified, Jesus offers this man new life, a new beginning. He offers him salvation and He says to him, I tell you the truth today, today. This day on a cross beside me, ends well for you. This day, crucified, repentant criminal, you will be with me in paradise. You know, it's in this singular moment on the cross, we actually see, and I want you to hear this, and some of us really need to hear this this morning. I say that word gospel so much. When I say gospel, people hear blah, blah. Help us to hear the gospel. Blah, blah. But we see it here, crystallized in its purest form. The thief realizes that Jesus really is king, really is Lord, really is Israel's Messiah, really is the only one in that moment who can save him. And he is willing to come to Jesus. Listen, he is willing to come to Jesus. This is gospel. Come to Jesus on God's terms, not on human terms, not on man's terms. Come on God's terms. Human terms are this. Hey, Jesus, come down off the cross and get us out of this fix. That's human terms. But God's terms are humility. We deserve this. Don't you fear God? Surrender. Honesty about who I really am. Oh God, please give me the grace 
to be self-aware of my own sin, but not enough to give me despair. May God give us the ability to see ourselves enough that it drives us to humility and not to despair. Honesty about who we really are. There is no evasion on that cross. There's no self-justification. There's no comparing of that thing. Hey, Jesus, you know what? I know I'm a criminal, but I'm better than that other criminal. And I'm really better than this other criminal. No, no, no comparison. No claiming victim status. It's that Roman system, Jesus. That's why I'm here. It's just this. And this is how, this is how we, if you want to know how to come to Jesus for Him to say, today you will be with me in paradise. If you want to know the attitude that it requires is this, I deserve this, I am a sinner, but Jesus, please remember me when you come into your glory. Don't let go of me, Jesus. Don't let go of me on this cross. Don't let go of me through death. I wonder today if some of us need to say those words in prayer to Jesus. I deserve your death. Please forgive me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Don't let go of me, Jesus. Not even now. Some of us are in an excruciating excrucis from the cross. Some of us are in excruciating trials right now. There are some of you right now we could see it. There's a cross. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise if you will come like that thief. Back in the 8th century, late 8th century, early 9th century, there was a Greek monk who lived in a monastery in Athens. The monastery was the Monastery of Studius. I don't know if that meant they were very studious, but that was the name of the monastery. And we call him St. Theodore the Studite. He says this about that cross. How splendid the cross of Christ. It brings life, not death. Light, not darkness. Paradise, not its loss. In it is the wood, it is the wood on which the Lord, like a great warrior, was wounded in hands and feet and side but healed thereby our wounds. And then Theodore says this, listen. In the Garden of Eden, a tree, in the Garden of Eden, a tree had destroyed us. Outside the city of Jerusalem, a tree now brings us life. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 